time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you improve your life no matter what life throws your way. And today we're talking about how you get back that focus when life throws you some tough stuff. Now, here we are at the end of the first month of a new year, and I'm really feeling like I'm still trying to get on track with the new year, which is why I was thinking, okay, what do I need to do to get back on focus? Now, part of the reason that I'm struggling to get back on focus is because my kids have been home. You know, my my kids, my daughter just went back to school this past weekend, uh, back to college. So uh, my son went back a little earlier. But, you know, whenever you have those disruptions, then everything kind of reshuffles. And it really reshuffles for some pretty cool reasons. You know, I really had a great time spending time with my my daughter and with my family over the holidays. But now it's time to really dig in and say, okay, where are we? And this is what brings up the question of what do you do with your focus? Because you see, our focus as humans keeps kind of waning, waxing and waning. You've probably noticed that sometimes you really get pulled away. And the part, part of the problem is there's a difference of focus on what's important and what's maybe not quite so urgent, maybe very important, but not quite so urgent. There's this level of difference between those, those urgent and important things that really have to be done right now. You know, something is just calling your name. There's a crisis that's going on. Usually it's really easy to get focused on that. But then there are those things that are probably even more important that are less urgent, but still need your attention. And yet they kind of disappear on me. You know, I've, I've been sitting here working on a book for some time and I'm trying to get to that last edit. And what I find is that I've really got to schedule it in to get that last piece done because the book's not going to happen without that. And part of what happens is I get called into the day to day or earlier today, I was getting some tax stuff out for the business and, and working on all those tasks, which are very important but which don't really pull down the, the stuff that's down the road, that really don't push me towards some more things that are not just, they've got to be done with a deadline, but I really want them to get done because I think they're so important. And so part of what we look at is the non-acute, you know, and the longer term projects that don't necessarily have a short term payoff. Those are the ones that I think really are hard to stay focused on when it's a crisis, when there's something that's really a struggle. And it's really calling your name that it's got to be taken care of today. It's probably going to get done. So let's talk some about how we can conceptualize this a little bit. I always think back on Stephen Covey's information on seven habits of highly effective people. He created a grid, a four grid. So two blocks on top, two on the bottom. And those four areas, he said they encompass all of the things that happen in our daily life, all the things that have to get done or, or, or call at us to get done. And what he said is in one of those quadrants, there are those things that are both important and urgent. If something is an emergency and it has to be taken care of right then because something bad might happen if it's not, it's, it's important and urgent. So if you cut your finger, it's important and urgent. Um, if uh, something is happening at work and there is a deadline that, you know, tomorrow you've got to present in front of the, uh, the capital people and it's got to go well, that's urgent and important because there's a deadline to it and it's really important. And then there are those things which are urgent, but not really important. 
And you might be able to tell those things that are urgent, but not really important because they're usually other people's agendas. You know, there are things that they are pushing you to get done because um, they it, there's some urgency in their voice. You know, I often get that in an email that something somebody is emailing me something because it's really urgent to them, but it's not important to me. So they make it urgent, but it's not really important to me. And sometimes those happen in our own lives that things come up and and it feels very urgent that something has to happen, but they're really not important. Those are the ones that distract us because there's another quadrant, and those are the things that are important but not urgent, the important things but not urgent. That really is, according to Covey, the place where we really want to focus our attention. We want to to kind of peel away the other two layers, the not important but urgent and the not important and the not urgent. The not important, not urgent are usually pretty easy to get rid of, you know, the, the things that are there to be done, but it doesn't really matter if they happen or not. It's not important, and it's really not feeling urgent. And a lot of times they just fall away. Sometimes those are the things we do when we're just bored and mindless, like going on Facebook, right? There is nothing that's either urgent or important about being on Facebook other than you may want to check up on your friends. But is that really that level of urgence and importance? Unfortunately, a lot of times those non-urgent, non-important things get a lot of attention in our downtime because they keep us from focusing. They are the pieces that draw us away from focusing, as are the not important but urgent. Somebody sends you something and, and they really want you to do something with it and it sucks you in for a while because you've lost track of the important but not urgent. Now, let's think about that and how it changes when something becomes more urgent. If you had to complete a task and you had one week to do it, and at the end of that week, if you completed it, you would get a million dollars. Think about how focused you would be on that. You'd probably give up sleep and eating and Facebook and anything else to get that done because the urgency has suddenly jumped up. It's important to get done because you want to get that million dollars and it's urgent because it has to happen in a week. But what if that same task, you were given a year to do it, right? And at the end of the year, and only at the end of the year, would you get that million dollars? Do you think you would have the same focus? Probably not. You'd probably start with a lot of focus. You would probably start with a lot of importance, but over time, things would pull at you and things would pull you into other projects and you would set it aside and say, oh, I'll get to it next month. I'll get to it next, you know, next six months. And then slowly the importance goes away. Now, the urgency would probably kick back up somewhere around, you know, November 30th, maybe December 1st, when you suddenly went, wow, I've only got this last month to do it. But up until then, you probably are going to kick it on down the road. I know that I do that. There are so many things that I know this is really important for down the road, but I don't get to it. Let's talk about some everyday things that are kind of like this. For instance, your health. A lot of times we set aside our health and we put it in the important category, but really is not urgent. So we don't think about how that meal is going to affect us and that meal is going to affect us and that snack is going to affect us and not exercising today is going to affect us and not exercising tomorrow is going to affect us and how as we over time don't take care of those daily tasks, our health begins to suffer more and more. Now, what ends up happening a lot of times with these non-urgent important things is they suddenly become very urgent. 
For my own story, you've probably heard me talk, talk about being ill. When I got sick, uh, this is over a decade ago now, but when I got sick, it changed my whole perspective because now I live on what I call borrowed time because the doctors had said I wasn't going to recover from that, that, that there was a short amount of time. And so my health had been something that was important. I mean, I knew it was important, but very non-urgent. And so I wasn't eating well. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't watching my stress levels. I wasn't learning how to deal with those things. And so there was an accumulative effect. And suddenly I was in a corner. I was in a corner of a health risk that I had to do something about. And when it hit me, suddenly it changed from being unimportant to being very important and from being non-urgent to very urgent. And that's the problem with these sometimes important things that we don't notice how important they are and we put them on the non-urgent list. They come back to bite us. Health is one of those that tends to do that. There's, there's some others, though. How about your primary relationship? If you're married or have a significant other, that's the primary relationship I'm talking about. These are the ones that tend, we tend to kind of let slide. Now, I'm not talking about if you're in you know, the first few months or even maybe the first year of the relationship, but over time, as the infatuation kind of cools, as it does in all relationships, as that infatuation period kind of crests and, and, and wanes, People tend to be a little less urgent about that relationship. They kind of put it on the back burner. And one of the places that a lot of people show as the place where it really changes is when they get married. Now, why is that? Why did it go from being urgent to non-urgent? Well, part of the reason is because up until then, you're trying to woo that person over to your side, right? You're trying to pull them into your corner. And once you get married, you have them in your corner. And unfortunately, when we have each other in the corner, we kind of take that for granted. We don't think about the energy it takes to keep that relationship going. And so it goes, maybe it's still important. You know, when people do their priority list, most people put their primary relationship at the very top of their, their list of priorities. And, and they might include it with their health and, and kids and those other things. But day-to-day life, urgent or non-urgent? Well, when it's non-urgent, we tend to set it aside and decide that we'll take care of it another day until one day, one or the other of you says, this isn't working for me. I'm not getting what I want out of it. Suddenly, the non-urgent becomes very urgent. It's always been important, just that the level of urgency has now changed to it, and suddenly people kick in the gear. Or how about parenting? Now, I'm not talking about the uh, when you have a baby. You know, there are plenty of cases where, where kids are not taken care of, where they're neglected. But let's just talk about the primary kind of normal day-to-day where you know, we really are focused on those kids. When they are dependent upon us for everything, we're focused on them. And then over time, we, we tend to let that slide a little bit. And we're a little less intense and intentional about our parenting and a little less intense on our focus. And then one day we go, wow, what, what happened? What happened to the opportunities I had to parent? Because now they're, they're launching, and did I equip them right? And, and so then we suddenly realize that there's some urgency to that that maybe was there before but fell away in our own minds. Or how about if you have some other project? Maybe you want to write a book, or maybe you want to learn to play a musical instrument, or maybe you want to learn a new language or some new skill, or maybe you want to take up something. Those are the same kind of things that where you're, you're pumped up about it in the beginning, as it begins to unfold, you realize there's a lot more to it than you thought. Let's say you decide to write a book. Well, there's a whole lot more to writing a book than figuring out how to put a few words down on paper. You know, it's easy to, for most people to write a, a chapter, two chapters, maybe even three chapters. 
but there are lots of people with lots of two and three chapter books sitting on their computer undone because suddenly it became a little less urgent. Suddenly it became a little less fun. Suddenly it became a little more work, more difficulty. Same with musical instruments. Lots of people have musical instruments. Lots of people have um, things that they want to learn and they sit in a corner. You start out with some lessons. Maybe you start off with learning a few things and then it becomes more difficult. You get through the initial passion that you have, the initial interest you have, and it gets, gets to be a little bit more real. Same thing with any hobby or interest you take up. Initially, it engages you, but over time, you realize that there's something that stands between you and mastery of it, and that's basically practice, right, and putting in the effort to get there. And as that happens, it's easy to let go of the focus. How many people have uh, CDs full of lessons on a new language? Maybe there was a, a trip that was coming up and they really were trying to get that language in and then they realized that they just couldn't master it in the two months that they allowed themselves before a trip. And suddenly it becomes a little less urgent. And then the trip passes and they somehow make it through the trip and those CDs end up in the corner or the training on your computer ends up in the corner. I talk with person after person who has training sitting on their computer and I look at my computer and I see the trainings and I realize that there are lots of important things to learn out there that lose our focus. Now, let's be very clear that you can't do everything. And that's really part of the nature of Stephen Covey reminding us that you you just can't do everything. You have to take care of the important and the urgent. And then you probably want to be very clear about what is important, what is truly important to you, but non-urgent so you can keep your focus on that. And if you haven't followed Stephen Covey's work, you definitely want to check out those quadrants to make sure that you are specifying what really is important to you, not what's important to somebody else in your life, unless they're the boss and you've got to do it for your paycheck, and maybe even to your spouse when there's something that's important to your spouse and you need to take care of that. But You want to be having a primary focus on those things in your life after you've taken care of the important and the urgent that are important to you, but non-urgent. And those are the ones that we tend to let our focus slip on. So how might we get back on focus? Well, let me propose that there are four little steps, and there are some steps within the steps, but basically four steps on how you get back in focus. The first one is to assess. There are a couple of different variations of this um, piece that often falls to the side. One is whether it's a project or a habit you want to build. For instance, writing a book is a project. Getting into shape and staying in shape is a habit. Probably parenting is somewhere between habit and project. You want to figure out how to uh, make that work. Uh, And over time, you realize that it really is mostly habit, right, of how you're going to parent and what your intentionalities are. Relationships are largely habit. Your important other in your life, your spouse or your significant other, doesn't want to be a project. They want to be a habit in your life. And so that's the difference between that project and a habit. Now, if you decide you want to run a marathon, you're not just going to run, but you're going to run a marathon. It may be a project to train for that marathon. If you want to uh, learn to paint, that might become some with something of a habit because you want to build it into your life. But that certain project that you have, you want to have that painting of your house that's spectacular, that's a project. And so sometimes what is habit and what is project is a little harder, but if you can kind of come to terms with which one it is, is it a project or is it a habit? Now, recognize that any project 
is going to have to have some habit to it. You can't just sit down and write a book, with rare exception, in just a few days. I say rare exceptions because a few years back I had an idea for a book and I basically wrote that book in about three weeks. Now, I didn't get it published in three weeks, but I I had the bulk of it written in three weeks. I had to get it edited and I had to go through it and it took about five or six months to get it really together. But my writing part was really a project and I poured everything into it for those three weeks. I would suggest if you're going to write a book, you not take that approach. That's a part of a project though. Can you make that project a habit in your life? So for instance, one of my professors who uh, was a great producer of books, he, I mean, he turned out books multiple times in a year. He said to me, you know, my habit is to write 15 pages per day. And it doesn't matter when I finish, I'm going to write 15 pages in a day. And so if I don't finish that until three in the morning, so be it. If I finish it at three in the afternoon, so be it. But I'm going to write 15 pages in a day. That was his habit. Now, at the end of his life, he was down to 10 pages a day. But still, 10 pages a day, if you multiply that across a month, that's 300 pages. That's a substantial book. If you multiply it across a year, that's over 3,500 pages. That's a lot of material to, to turn into books and to manuscripts and all kinds of other things, articles. So it became a habit for him. Instead of a project of a book, his habit was writing. Same with if you decide to be a runner, you may have a project of doing that marathon, but then you have a, have a habit of staying in shape. So the first thing we want to do is assess whether it's really a project or a habit that you're trying to work around, because that's going to change how you go about this. The second is your level of importance. You know, to say, well, I kind of want to write a book. Well, that's not really a, an important piece. But if you say this book will transform my career, my life and other people's lives, suddenly the importance level pops up. If you decide that you've got to get into shape because the doctor is telling you that you've got a risk of cancer or heart disease or diabetes or something else, the importance goes up. And then let's add in one other area, and that's the level of passion. Now, level of importance and passion don't have to match. For instance, when you are finding yourself in a health crisis, you may not be passionate about getting back into health, but it's very important to you. If you want to take in a new instrument, maybe you've always thought that that that, uh, guitar playing was beautiful and you wanted to learn how to do it, your passion may be very high. It might not be incredibly important in your life. It's not like you're going to stake your career at the beginning of that guitar lesson on uh, learning to play, but the passion may be there. And so you want to be clear about your level of importance and your level of passion. You've got to have one or the other. If something doesn't rise to a great level of importance or or a great level of passion, it's not going to happen. It just is not going to hold your attention long enough. The magic is when both your importance and passion meet up. That's the unstoppable piece. In fact, if, if your passion and your importance uh, meet at the same place, you really are just building it into your schedule, which brings us to level number two, which is to plan. After you've assessed where this is, if it's something you're really serious about getting into, if it's something that really is of importance and passion, you've got to plan. And by planning, I mean scheduling. If you want to write a book, schedule the time to write. One of the mistakes I watch with people who are doing any creative endeavor is they're waiting for the muses to arrive. 
I've seen it with people who are writing it. I've seen it with people who are painting. I've seen it with people who are doing any creative thing. They're waiting for that, that muse to call to them. And what most authors find is that muse arrives when they put their butt in the seat and they get ready to write. Or they, the painters find it when they have the paint out and the paintbrush in hand, the muse comes. And so part of the scheduling of it is making sure there's room in your routine. And so when I am making sure that I am being creative, I have to block it out of my time. For instance, Mondays are the day for me to work on podcasts, and I'm not going to schedule anything else on Mondays because that's when I do that creative work of building a podcast. That's scheduled in. I know it's going to come. I know it's happening. So schedule it as if it's a meeting, including gym time. If you decide that it's going to be your habit of, of getting into shape, staying in shape, figure out what that's going to look like. How many times a week are you going to do it? Put it in your schedule. Make sure that there is room in your schedule for that. So if you're going to run before you go to work, block out that time. Don't allow it to be sucked into something else. And then not just scheduling it, but setting up to do it. Let's go back to that scheduling for a minute and include relationships. You know, if you're trying to connect with your spouse, you got to remember to schedule that in. Are you scheduling time at lunch? Are you scheduling time in the evening? Are you scheduling time for maybe a partnership meeting as I've talked about in other places? And are you doing that in your scheduling? Because if you don't, you're going to let everything else squeeze out that unimportant, well, that important, but non-urgent piece. That's where it happens in relationships that we get off track because we don't make room for it in our schedule and then set it up to do whatever it is. For instance, if it's running day for me, I put out my running shoes and I put out my running clothes and I make sure that's what I'm putting on in the morning. I'm not slipping anything else on because once I'm in my running clothes, I might as well go do it. Or if I'm going to go and exercise, I get everything ready to do that in my basement. So it's there in my basement where I exercise is right beside my office. And so I'll put everything out to make sure that I have to trip over it if I'm going to get past it. And then I do it. Whatever you do, set it up to do. If you want to eat healthily, what do you do? You get all of the ingredients that are going to keep you eating healthily and you keep out all the bad stuff. That is how you fall towards that goal, to make sure you're doing what you want to do. If you want to spend time with a spouse, to let them know that, right? To say, hey, let's do date night on Saturday night. So you set it up and you get a babysitter and you you plan that. And suddenly it all falls into place because you've set it up to do it. Once we set it up, we tend to follow through. The third is to practice. So you've assessed whether it really is important and whether you have passion for it. You've planned, so you've created in your schedule and you set yourself up to do it and then you practice. And two ways that you might practice this is to gamify and challenge yourself. To gamify is to come up with a way of of seeing if you can top yourself. We like in our mind to have these little games going on. So to, for instance, decide that during the month, you're going to write 10 pages a day if you're writing that book or five pages a day or two pages a day, whatever it is to choose that and to see if you can keep an unbroken streak going. Or how about if you decide that you're going to exercise and so you're going to walk three days a week and lift weights three days a week. Okay, that's six days. Can you keep that going? And how many weeks can you keep that going? Let's say you need to break the habit. So how many days can you go without going to McDonald's or without going to wherever it is you need to stay away from that food? And can you keep that streak going? Once you get the streak going, 
it becomes a game with yourself to see if you can keep it going one way or the other by avoiding or doing those things. So gamify it. So pages per day or uh, paint strokes per day or uh, how much weight you lift each day and you make it a cumulative thing or how many times you can figure out how to connect with your spouse. I mean, there are all kinds of games you can play, but gamify the process. Make it into a game so that you're pulled along and then make it a challenge. One of the reasons that we lose focus is because it doesn't hold our attention because there's no challenge to it. So make it a challenge. Are there new skills that you can learn? Are there new ways that you can understand this? And once you make it that skill acquisition, those new skills coming along, the more interesting it engages you, the more interesting it becomes to you. So as you're practicing it, as you're doing it, gamify and challenge yourself. And the fourth one is accountability. Find someone that you can answer to. It might be a partner in the process or a coach or a friend or a trainer or even a group that you can do it with. But what you want to do is state your intentions and ask them to check in with you. If you've got a coach, if you've got a life coach or a relationship coach or a writing coach or whatever kind of coach you might have, have them check in on you and say, hey, are you sticking with your plan? How's it going? Let me know when you finished your workout. Let me know when you finished your writing each day. Let me know when you have made those attempts at connecting with your spouse. That's a great way of using accountability. Or maybe you join a group. You know, One of the ways that we know that people get into shape is because they join a group that's doing it with them. So maybe you, you decide to do a boot camp group that you're going to get up with them at five in the morning and go meet and exercise. Or maybe you, you join the tennis league where they're going to be waiting for you to play that game. Or maybe you run, you join the running club or, or some other group that's going to all join together with a common purpose of all succeeding together. That great accountability is a way to do it. If you're going to run, find a partner. If you're going to bike, find a partner. Whatever it is, find a partner. You're going to go swim, find a partner. Because it's harder to just let someone hang, right? That you know they're going to be waiting for you. It's harder to just let that slide. You tend to want to live up to that because somebody else is involved. So find some ways of really having that accountability. Have them check in with you. You check in with them. Hold each other accountable. Part of the magic of making it a habit is making sure that you've built it in, which brings me to my last piece, which is habituation. Habituation is uh, the idea that whatever we do consistently becomes our consistency. Whatever surrounds us becomes what's regular. So if you move into a new house, you know, you're all excited about how new and how uh, interesting it is and and you're enjoying that. And then a year later, you realize it's just a house or you go buy a new car and you're, you're so proud of your new car and it's all shiny. And then a year later, you realize you're just driving a car. That's the downside of habituation. Whatever it is, we just get used to it. It becomes our norm. But you can use habituation to your benefit. For instance, if you get into the habit, when you break it, you're going to feel bad about it. So an habituation of exercise is important. Habituation to whatever it is. So uh, I've got into the habit of walking my dog. Now, every morning, unless it just cannot be done, I will walk my dog. And if I don't, I feel off. When it's a little warmer, I make sure we get two walks in. And if I don't, I feel off. And I make sure in terms of my diet, for instance, that I'm eating things that are healthy for me. And if I cheat on that, I feel off. It's now been, uh, with the exception of one time, it's now been six and a half years since I've had a soft drink. 
the one time, the one exception was when I was overseas and uh, I was in India and somebody there offered me a Coke and I felt like just as a re- act of respect, I needed to drink that Coke. So I drank a quarter of it and couldn't drink the rest um, because I had habituated myself to not drinking those soft drinks. It's not so much that I, that's not a brag point as much as it's a habit point. I got out of the habit, broke myself of the habit and made a new habit of not doing that. And that's the nature of habituation. The more you get used to doing something, the more you'll do it, whether it's good for you or bad for you, the more your habit. So if your habit is to get up in the morning and go down and on the way to work, stop, stop by Starbucks and get you a charge of caffeine and a muffin, that becomes your habit. If your routine is to get up in the morning and make yourself a healthy smoothie or have a, a glass, a cup of oatmeal, and, uh, and I'm not saying anything about coffee because I drink it myself, but if you create the healthier routine of that, you make that your habit. Whatever it is, it will become your habit. One of the big pieces of keeping your focus is making sure you've done whatever you can to make what you want to have happen into that habit. Make it your habituation. When you're trying to regain your focus, remember, number one, assess. Is this a project or a habit? Project you can manage because you can say, okay, there's an end to it. Habit, we're going to build that in and make sure that it exists. Is there a level of importance to you and a level of passion behind it? That's your assessment. Then plan. How do you schedule it into your routine so it's going to happen? Then you set yourself up to do it. Number three is to practice. Make it a game. Make it a challenge to learn new skills. Number four, make yourself accountable. And as you do that, what I think you're going to find is the focus is automatic. Build your habituation around what you want to have, and you'll build a thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.